Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Look, I come like a thief. Some versions say a thief in the night. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed. So we're going to talk about, actually really for the next month, we're going to talk about this significant concept that is throughout both the Gospels uh, and one of the epistles and here in Revelation that Jesus comes like a thief in the night. What does that mean? It's a really bizarre concept. Um, You would think, you know, as a good guy, Jesus being one, that he wouldn't draw an analogy of him being a thief in the night. Was that a bizarre analogy? You know what I mean? Uh, And he does. And it has significant meaning for the way that we live our lives. Um, And we need to live our lives in this kind of way. We're King's Church. We're a spirit and truth church. We believe both that God is alive. He's real. He's not just pretend. He's not just conceptual. It's not just a body of theology. Those things are very important and significant. Uh, But we believe that he's living and he can lead us and he wants to lead us. Those that are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God, and so we want to be led by him, and we also want to be bordered and bounded and protected by his word and his truth, his order, his construct, the logic of the kingdom of heaven, all of those things working in tandem together, and so spirit people, spirit, spirit, cool, spirit, truth people, truth people obey the directives of Jesus, and one of those directives is to make disciples of the world, to preach the good news. That's part of, kind of one of the fundamental elements because he comes like a thief in the night. And he comes to persons like a thief in the night, but he also comes to cities like a thief in the night. He comes to nations like a thief in the night, and we think we're in control and everything's going great, and then all of a sudden, the judge of the universe shows up and says, what's going on? The book of James Uh, there's an encouragement. It's it's like, don't say today I'm going to do this plan and tomorrow I'm going to do this other plan and then I'm going to make a bunch of money here and then I'm going to do this other thing and move to this other city. It's all in my control. You say, if God wills, then it will. Because he is the ruler of my universe, not me. And everything is subject to him deciding to let me breathe this next breath and this next breath and this next breath. He's in control. And so this idea, I've called it a chronological imperative. That means there must be a forced moment that we recognize that time is not in our control ultimately. It's in God's control. And crazy things happen to nations and cities and peoples. People die suddenly. I don't know if you've seen it on the news. I saw last week in the New York Post a 33-year-old. Did you see this? The fitness lady, the Instagram fitness Vegetable eating, non-McDonald's eating, you know. Massive heart attack. Massive heart attack. Immediately dead. Gone forever. Like, I'm worshiping health. I'm worshiping how to eat. I'm worshiping exercise. I'm worshiping it. I'm in control of it. I'm the one who makes the decision. And your life is gone in a moment. And what does it mean? Well, it means a lot of fun things that we talk about around here. Um, But it also means that Jesus comes like a thief in the night and you have no idea when you will stand before him for judgment. And you think you know and you don't know. 
Amen? Speaking of things you don't know, last week we were in Amish country, and it's crazy out there. It's guys with neck beards, <laughs> neck beards as far as the eye can see in Amish country. <laughs> no electricity and neck beards. You know, I was at this church in the middle of Amish country, and it's just so bizarre that you can drive two and a half hours, and there's all these people riding horses with no electricity. And, you know, they're Christians, so God bless them, rock and roll. The kids ask, what do I think about the Amish people? And I'm like, I'm not going to be one because I don't like neckbeards. But rock and roll. They love Jesus. They're doing their thing. They don't like electricity. Eh, whatever. You know, let them be. Um, and I was at this church preaching, and we're preaching on the intersection between the kingdom of God, righteousness, morality, and politics, and being courageous as a, a member of a state where we have the ability to exercise democratic rights, to determine what rules our nation, all of those kind of things that Christians should be engaged in. And I was sitting here in the front row-ish area, and I had to speak. And I spoke a lot of times that weekend. A relatively large room, and I had to use the restroom. And as, when you're preaching, you don't want to have to use the restroom when you're standing in front of people. And so I just decided that I would walk very stealthily through back and then quickly come back out. And so I lower my head, and I'm walking out of the room... <laughs> And I walk into the restroom, and it's, there's a, I'm, I get a weird vibe, just a strange, it's not an Amish country vibe, it's just a weird vibe in the restroom. And I come back out, and I preach, and the next day I'm going through that lobby again where the bathroom is, and I look over to the bathroom that I had entered, and there's a sign that say, women's bathroom on the front sign of the and so I said, I repented of the church, and I said, I promise I'm not trying to push, push New York City transgender bathrooms on you. It was an accident, a total freakish accident. And they forgave me. Um, all right, that's enough. Enough about me. Let's talk about the scripture. Book of Revelation. It's called Revelation, not Revelations. Very important thing to remember. It's a revelation from Jesus to the Apostle John. This is a cool connection because John was the person that was the closest to Jesus, that loved him the most, that had the most incredible, vibrant, vivid, three-dimensional vision of how God wraps things up and how his context of judgment applies to churches and peoples and nations. And on the Day of the Lord on the island of Patmos, John was in the spirit. Day of the Lord is Sunday. That's when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, and it reminds us of new life in Jesus. We get to all celebrate that today, this morning. That's what we did with our worship. And John is having this experience with God, and all of a sudden, he's in the heavens, ostensibly. His eyes are open to see this incredible stuff. And a lot of people don't know what to do with the book of Revelation. I was talking to a famous friend of mine last week. He said, I don't even think you should be able to read Revelation unless you know Greek. I was like, all right, that's a bit far. That's taken it a bit far. But his point was it's very confusing. And people say all kinds of crazy, wacky stuff about the, Revelation, about the book of Revelation. And I said to my friend, what you're missing is that God's word applies cyclically to people's in times and seasons and nations. Revelation wasn't written one time for the first century and then to be torn out of the Bible and never read again. Revelation wasn't also written to be forgotten about 
until we came up with the iPhone and we were all walking around with the new Mark of the Beast on our hand or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Like there's people that think that one dimensionally about this book. They don't understand it and they place it in a context and they forget that God's word applies cyclically to all mankind at different times and seasons because it's in fact living. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 10. Then the rain and snow, excuse me, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and they stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. So God says, just as the rain comes down from the heavens and does important things and then has a process, so exactly is my word that goes out from my mouth and accomplishes the task for which I have sent it. So this way I think is south, right? Am I right this way is south? Is that right? We're saying this would be west. Oh, is this south, you think? This is south. Hudson River's over here? This is west, Hudson River. Okay, turn around. If you were to walk out to the West Side Highway, maybe the, that little floaty island, that, it's okay. You're out there on the floaty island and you're looking at the Hudson River. If you will notice today, uh, in particular, there are millions of gallons of water being dumped into the ocean today. Like millions. And crazy enough, tomorrow, actually, also, millions of gallons of water will be dumped into the ocean. Bizarrely, the next day will be about the same and the day thereafter. And yet, seaport remains. <laughs> and yet, my house down in the financial district, my apartment, is not underwater yet. Well, why is that? Because isn't it supposed to flood and we're all supposed to be underwater? I saw this underwater picture of New York City. It's been exactly the same for a couple of hundred years down at the battery, if you look at the map. The rain falls on the earth and it feeds the crops and the trees and some bugs drink it and we drink some of it. And then it goes into the earth and it actually finds its way into the rivers. And once it gets to the rivers, it dumps itself into the ocean. And then bizarrely, it doesn't just fill up, but the ocean is this giant <laughs> area of wetness. <laughs> I'm trying to describe the ocean to you. You know what the ocean is. The ocean is an area where the sun shines down upon and what happens? Clouds emerge up from it again. It naturally desalinates the water and those clouds move back over the land and it rains once again. There's a cyclical process that happens with rain. So the ocean will never be too full. It will never overflow on us because God created these cyclical processes to happen. And here it says, the rain and the snow, just like they come down from the heavens, so is my word. And God's word in the book of Revelation to the seven churches of Revelation applied exactly in the first century and they apply to us today. And this crazy stuff about frogs and dragons actually applies to us today if we have the ability to see what God is saying. If we read it in a shallow and one-dimensional way, 
we will, we will literally wait for some man to stand up with a frog coming out of his mouth. That's called being an idiot. But there are people that believe it has to literally, actually, all of the prophets through the Old Testament talk in symbolic form. Jesus, it says about Jesus, without a parable, he did not speak to them. Because there's something about the nature of God that he reveals himself to the hearts that are willing to seek him. He's not cheap. He's not giving himself away for free. I mean, kind of is, but he's giving himself away for the hearts that are willing to seek and ask and knock and find, and then heaven begins to open up. People come to Christianity with this with these really simple basic questions because they don't understand that God is a God that desires the seeking heart of man to come and find me. Seek me when I may be found. Draw to me while I am near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the, the, the scripture says. God wants to be sought. So I came from, uh, I grew up upstate New York, two and a half hours on a good drive, three on a bad drive. And I grew up in the Catskill Mountains for my formative years, really 11 through probably 18. And upstate New Yorkers, my grandfather was, all my family's from New York City, uh, and really came off the boat, Irish, Italian immigrants. And then you kind of get some money and they move upstate. And then we, we actually grew up in a town called Margaretville. It was in a county called Delaware. It was the poorest county in the state of New York for a long time. And now it's kind of like maybe number two or three. Um, there's no economy in the mountains. The economic engine doesn't exist in the mountains. There's a number of reasons for that. Uh, one of the primary reasons is it's really hard to irrigate the mountains. It's very hard to farm the mountains. The, 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 the slope of the hills themselves make it very challenging with the climate to really grow any produce. You can't really take tractors, they'll flip on the sides. And then the valleys are so shallow and the season of summer to fall is so short, it makes it really, really hard to grow crops. You can, but it's challenging. And then once you have the crops, you have to bring them from the top of the mountain all the way down to the valley to really do business. Well, that increased the cost of products, and so the products in the valley are already cheaper, so you're getting beat out by all these farmers. And therefore, for the history of mankind, mountainous regions have always been poor, all the time. From the Phoenicians to the Margaret Villains, who I grew up with upstate, it's always been an economically destitute area of the world. So, I graduated high school in 1998. That's a long time ago. It is a long, I was three years old and I was a genius, that's why. <laughs> 1998, my parents took me to this really nice, the nicest restaurant in the whole area. And it was a French restaurant. I had never been to a French uh, restaurant before. I didn't realize that I would fall madly in love with French food. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a restaurant like four or five blocks this way I'm going to tell them. I love these people. What do you mean don't tell them? <laughs> Called La Baritan. It was one of the two restaurants in New York City that would let us in without a vaccination card during 2020. So we love them. 
and we love the foie gras, even though it's probably unethical and I need to repent at some point for my foie gras love, but that's a different story. I, on the menu that day, I'm out to the restaurant with my parents, frog legs are on the menu, and I just was like, that's, that's it, I'm getting frog legs. I mean, when you get a chance, when you grow up in an impoverished community, to ever eat fro frog legs? How many people have had frog legs? How many risk? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. If I would have asked that question at my parents' church, no hands would have gone up. Why? Because frogs are gross and weird and slimy. And even though I still order frog legs, sometimes they're not good. It's just like, it's just the novelty of ordering frog. You know what I mean? It's like little tiny bits of meat on the leg and you just feel cool ordering it. Frogs are slimy and gross, they like dark, wet areas, and if in the right environment, they just proliferate like crazy. That's all, in Jesus' name, amen. End of message. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? No, I'm <laughs> building something here. I'll, I'll get back to the frogs in a second. Daniel 2, 20 through 22. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. The scripture has two competing truths. And one of those truths is that God judges man, and he rules over the affairs of man, and he's the one that takes kings down and then reestablishes kings. He judges nations, and also we have a duty and ability to walk in righteousness. We are not robots. That's, this, is, this is what I call a mechanistic, evolutionary view of the universe that we're just persuaded by the atoms of our brain. No, wrong. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You're stamped with his sovereignty and divinity. Divin lesser divinity, not big D, but le lesser. You're made in his image. And you have the ability to choose. Now, Revelation 22, 17 says, The spirit and bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life because God doesn't force any man or nation, but he says, the spirit and bride say, come. Will you respond to him today? So we have two competing truths, the sovereignty of God over peoples and nations that he will judge them, and then the responsibility of man. And that's what a prophet does. We saw that in the story of Jonah. Jonah, his name means dove. He, God calls him to go and correct the city. They're secular. God cares about nations. He doesn't want them to create pain and brutality and murder and mar and destroy his image. It hurts his heart when little children get sexually mutilated by doctors today in America because they think they're confused about their gender. That hurts the heart of God. And he judges nations for those kinds of things. Amen? And so it, the word of the Lord goes from God to Jonah. And he says, get up and go to Nineveh. Tell them they're in sin. Preach against it because their wickedness has come up before me. There's a saturation point in the history of a culture where its wickedness comes up before the Lord, where he's vividly aware of it. 
man sins, man does stupid stuff, and we have to pay for that, or Jesus forgives us. But there is a saturation point in a culture. Just like in Genesis chapter 6, when the wickedness and violence, the lawlessness of the world came up to God, and he said, I have to do something about this now. That happens. Revelation is talking about how that happens to places and peoples and nations. Jonah 1, 2, the, excuse me, Jonah 3, 10, the people respond to God. How crazy is that? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their way, their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God warns people in part by, let's call it tiny judgment, that bigger judgment is on the way if you don't correct your path. Psalm 103.10, when you're in Christ, this is the path. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, because we're found in Christ, and we repent, and we turn, and we follow him. So in the book of Exodus, Moses, who's a prophet, he goes to the people of Israel, uh, excuse me, the people of Egypt, and he has some warnings from God for them. Now, Egypt is not like the Catskill Mountains at all. There are no periods in the periods, pyramids in the Catskill Mountains. Egypt is a very different place. And a few thousand years BC in Egypt, it was one of the most wealthy places in the world because of one particular reason, which is the contrast between the Catskill Mountains. It was the best place in the entire world to farm because the Nile River every year would flood and overflow its banks. So before mankind had created irrigation, they didn't even know how to properly, you know, they didn't have metal pipes to spray water and all the stuff that we can do that makes arable, uh, plantable, farmable land all over our country. You couldn't do that unless you were at a river and that river happened to overflow its banks every year. And because of that, the produce of the land was exposed Exploding in comparison to all the other nations of the world at the time. Canaan, Syria, Mesopotamia. The, this area of the Nile River, its flooding and overflowing was the source of the power and the wealth for the people of Egypt. And so Moses goes, shows up to the people of Egypt, and he's like, listen, you're doing things wrong. God wants you to Release these slaves. They're his people. Let them go. Let them come out and worship me. And they say, no, not happening. Get out of here. And then Moses says, okay, if you don't do this, I'm going to take this river, the Nile, first judgment, and I'm going to turn the whole thing into blood. I remember as a young kid, you hear these bizarre Bible stories, and you're like, what does this even mean? It's so confusing. He's like, blood, flies, some cows are dying. What's, what are you doing, God? because you don't understand or have the wisdom or context to understand that the entire nation of Egypt, its primary source of strength was the Nile River. And so God came to the people of Egypt and said, my judgment is coming and I'm going to hit you where your primary source of strength is. He makes it blood to say, I can end this at any point, I'm in control. Listen to me, because judgment will come and it will continue to accelerate. 
And you know the story. Pharaoh hardens his heart. He doesn't listen to God. He doesn't respond. He stays locked into his pattern of sin. And then Moses comes in with the big guns, frogs. <laughs> I just think this is so funny that, like, if you are the frog prophet, like, you speak, like, God, here's my voice. And then frogs show up. It's the most embarrassing superpower that you could ever have. I'm frog man, whistle, and the frogs come leap. They'll be here in a minute. They're leaping from the swamp, you know? It sounds so stupid. Why would frogs move the heart of Pharaoh or the people of Egypt? Why would they care at all about the slimy, proliferating creatures that love the cold and the dark? Well, like India, where killing a cow is a serious sacred violation, in Egypt, killing a frog was a sacred violation because frogs were deified in Egypt. And there was a god in Egypt named Heket, H-E-Q-U-E-T, that had the body of a woman and the head of a frog that was worshiped by the people of Egypt. And she represented fertility, proliferation, because you know what happens when a river overflows and there's just a big swampy area that's going to drain? Guess what creatures end up proliferating in swamps? Frogs, that's right, sincere frogs. <laughs> frogs proliferate, and it becomes the icon, it becomes a secondary icon of the strength of the people of Egypt. And God says, I'm going to show you that I'm in charge, and I'm also going to put your false gods on display and judge them as well. Psalm, Exodus 12, 12, on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn male, both man and beast, and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. And I will execute, execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. See, whatever thing in our life that we worship that is not God, that thing becomes a false god and a false idol. Things that become gods are things we sacrifice for, things that our whole life revolves around, and things that we're willing to give up time and family and the things that are most precious. That becomes our god. It's really easy to find out what people's gods are. What's the most important thing in your life? And it's, you know, and in New York, it's like we got careers and we got plans and I've got my law practice and I'm doing stuff. And it's like, all of these things are great. They're blessings, but when they become our primary source of strength, they become gods in the life of his people. And when we begin to worship those gods, we begin to be like the things that we worship. And we begin to be slimy creatures of the dark, desiring fertility, proliferation of other slimy, dark things. Psalm 82, one says, God presides over the divine assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. And so frog thing happens, and the people of Egypt understand it, and Pharaoh, for a moment, repents. Then Moses and Aaron, verse 12, went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses and out of the courtyards and out of the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, 
he hardened his heart and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And so God brings judgment. We see this with the horsemen in the book of Revelation. We see this with the breaking of seals in the book of Revelation. God doesn't bring atomic bomb the moment you step out of bounds. He's not like that. He's proportional because he's just. And so the initial warnings don't seem that dramatic. They, they start to scale up until they're so dramatic that the whole nation weeps and wails and is broken. Revelation 16, 13, I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So frogs are these slimy, love cold, love the dark, love shadows, like to proliferate kind of things. And the other thing about frogs, and you know this if you've ever been by a pond at night, is they're pretty loud for how small they are. Like, they're loud beings. Are they beings? Creatures. They're loud creatures. They're much louder than they should be, and that's often like the voice of hell. It's much louder than it actually is. And we think it has all of this power and all of this influence and all of this wonder, and it's not that powerful. The three impure spirits, they came out of the mouth of the dragon and the beast and the mouth of the false prophet. G.K. Beale, in his commentary on Revelation, he says that these things represent the dragon is the powers of hell, the devil and the powers of hell. That's real. It's not pretend. That's a real thing. The beast represents the government of man. It's the soulless, or it's the spiritless, excuse me, spiritless entity of massive power of mankind. Governments of man, incredibly strong. And the third thing is the false prophet. That represents the apostate church or that represents false religions. And here, in this judgment that's coming, Revelation 16 is like, it's all coming down to this final last battle where judgment of God is coming upon a culture or a city or a people or a nation. It says that these guys all, sync in a synchronized way, are repeating the same kind of messaging. The frogs are coming out of all of their mouths and proliferating around a culture. And I say, um, it's pretty incredible that we have demonically inspired government, hell, and an apostate church that is basically for the same thing. Heidi was just telling me this story about these people when she was talking about um, banning books at libraries. And when we talk about banning books at libraries, we're talking about banning pornographic material at libraries for our children. That's a good thing, right? Uh, and there's a whole contingent of our culture that wants to proliferate this kind of madness. There's a, here in Revelations, there's a trinity between hell, governments, and the apostate church. And in our culture right now, if you haven't seen the, please, well, if, if you want to have a bad day, go on Twitter and watch the apostate church celebrate sodomy, transgenderism, drag queens in the church, in the church, the same thing that's being promoted by the government, the same thing that's being promoted by hell. And we've outlawed prayers in school in New York City, and we've made, in New York City, just did this in the last few months, they're making meditation mandatory in New York City while they've outlawed prayer. We have, uh, we have stopped teaching the Bible as a nation 
in our public schools, pretty much in totality. It's not even surveyed. And our libraries are, are having prolific, sexual, insane, I can't even show it in church, it's so dark and horrific, the things that are being proliferated in our libraries. And there's this trinity of voices that are all saying these same deceptive things. And this is what happens when that happens. Jesus says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and shamefully be exposed. And the idea is this. When a culture is at the end of its life cycle because of sin and darkness, Jesus is coming like a thief. And you don't know when, and you don't know where, and you don't know what time it is. And he comes to the righteous, and they're blessed. This is crazy. He comes to the wicked, and they're judged. It's game over. Look at this. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. The blessing and victory of God over the people that he loved, who Christ shed his blood for, it's an incredible victory. But for those who do not stay awake, for those who, who are not clothed with his righteousness, that's the picture, who are awake and clothed, not woke, awake and clothed, so as not to go naked and shamefully exposed. Worship team, you can come up. We have a culture that is crashing towards the judgment of God. And as in the days of Noah, so in our own days, people say, you know, we're not going to get judgment. That's not going to happen. And they forget just a couple of years ago, our whole culture was shut down. If you remember the riots and the, and the shops burning in New York City, in a, it was like in a moment, there was a tinderbox, and it was chaos. And if you were here in Manhattan, you say, dear Lord, this is very bad and can get very bad for everyone. But we walk through life like, it's never going to happen. It's always going to be the same. There's some bad people. There's some good people. But God, Jesus says through this revelation to John, when it starts getting dark and my judgments start coming, people aren't even aware of them or they reject my judgment. I am coming soon like a thief in the night. And he's not playing He's the judge of the universe. He's just and righteous and holy. Yes, he's merciful and good, and he celebrates the believers that remain faithful, but those who are not faithful. Read the rest of the book. There is a lake of fire that is the portion of the unbeliever, and it's like, oh, that's just crazy. That's crazy talk. God made justice fundamental to the nature of mankind because we're made in his image and likeness and justice is fundamental to his nature. You think, ah, just God won't care. The things that we care about most are issues of justice. The things that fixate our attention are court cases and people getting caught and I mean, I, just, I always think about this thing that little kids fight over what's mine. That's what they fight over, issues of justice. I mean, the wars that are currently in our media cycle, they're about what's mine. They're about issues of justice. It's fundamental to the nature of man because it's fundamental to the nature of God. 
And when we stand before him someday, he's not going to be like, eh, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about all the evil that happened. He's just and because he's good. And for those who remain clothed, they are blessed. They're rewarded. They're cheered by heaven. The book of Revelation, the church is in the center being celebrated. But those who remain outside, those who don't come to the waters, it doesn't work out. Let's church stand up with me. Revelation 22, 17, and the spirit and bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty say, come. Let the one who has been filling their life up on the things of the world and the patterns of existence that are dry and unfulfilling and lead to nothingness, let that person come to the presence of God, to the spirit of God. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. During one of the great feasts, it says that Jesus stood up while this feast is happening and he shouted out with a loud voice. Let who is thirsty come and out of his innermost being will arise rivers of life. Because this God that we serve is not some simple, afar off, deistic judge, but this is a God that wants to live in us and with us, strengthen us, refresh us, encourage us. And if you're here today and you haven't made a decision to give your life to Jesus, he's good and he's kind, but he's just. He's not playing. And if you want me to pray with you and you want to say, David, I've never given my life to Jesus and I want to do that today, just raise your hand with me. We'll take a minute to pray. All right, then. Then I hope that we're all followers of Jesus here. God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that you're good and kind and just, but we thank you also that we're not in control and you are. You come like a thief in the night to bring judgment on your enemies, vindication of your righteousness because you're right and you're holy and you're true and you're magnificent and brilliant and good. God, encourage your saints to walk in a manner that's worthy drinking of the free gift of life that comes by the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts 20.27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel 
of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text KCNYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world so believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.